Stephen Palmer's Hairy London, episode 18. Thus comforted, he cast off and flew to Soho, where he landed in the garden of the House of the Red Mill. The Machinora camouflaged itself as an elephant. As Velvine forged away up Duck Street, a number of women wearing fur coats and fishnet stockings approached him, smiling and gesturing, but he ignored them. The street hair here was short and curly, difficult to walk through, but not impossible, and soon he stood before the door of number 69, where he knocked. Fancy a good time? a woman asked him. Uh, no, thank you, I cannot stand the stuff, he replied. The door opened, and Belvine saw a scruffy man with short dark hair and a half-smoked cigarelle hanging from his mouth. Yah? The man's Teutonic accent was strong. Uh, Mr. Reich, Belvine said. What do you want, sir? May I come in, sir? I wish to speak to you on various personal matters. Ach, come in, then. Thank you, sir. Reich's house was the opposite of Jung's, untidy, dusty, damp, a maze of small rooms linked by crooked corridors. He appeared to live alone. Settling at the kitchen table, Reich scratched his chin and said, Well, what do you want? I am Velvine Orchard Tide of, well, it doesn't matter. I'm an explorer of the human mind, and I was sent here by Carl Jung. Ach, what? That Zurich-tramping, stuck-up Dummkopf? Yes, him. And I share your opinion of him. I will burn every one of his idiotic books. Velvine nodded. Now, Mr. Reich, I seek the true nature of love. And so, if there's anything you could say to assist me, perhaps to direct me. You've seen Freud? Yes. Dummkopf also. You have come to the right man here, though. Velvine said, You worked with Freud? Uh, for a while, the man is mad. He loves his mother, you know. Velvine, disgusted, said nothing. Reich continued, I will sort you out. Ach, love, you say. But is this the Marxist love? Marxist? Velvine said, perplexed. Yeah, Karl Marx. You must have heard of him, wrote... Communist Manifesto. I'm a communist. Are you? I am interested in Marxism-Leninism. Really? We will get on like a pair of socks. Reich took two glass tumblers from the shelf behind him, then a glass bottle, and smacked them onto the kitchen table. Schnapps, he said. Two fingers or three? Um, just the one for me, Felvine replied. Ach, yeah, this could be a long night. Best to pace ourselves. <laughs> Love, you say. <laughs> I know all about gross Lieber. Do you? Sturm und Drang. It's all about the emotional tension inside. It has to be got out. Out, yeah, and be expressed. Belvine sat back, concerned, as any Britisher would be, by Reich's flamboyant manner. In a cold voice, he said... The Kaiser must hate you, and I hate him. But communism will cover the whole Teutonic world, just you wait and see. But love, we were talking about love. 
Valdine nodded. Ah, tell me, how many women have you had? Had? Yeah, had. How many? Uh, I don't understand what you mean. Women, orchard thing, how many have you growled? Growled? Reich struck the table with his fist. Have slept with? Realization dawned on Veldine. He'd heard this term before when he was at school. Well, that's a very personal question, perhaps as it were, and is really of no interest to me, best not answered. Ah, okay, so it is many. Now here is the key question. Do you like the colour blue? Yes, I do. It's my favourite colour. Reich grinned. I thought it would be. Listen, I can help you. Take your clothes off. What, sir? Take off your clothes. It's high work. It's essential. Take them off. Frightened now, Velvine stood up and removed his jacket. Uh, will this do? he inquired. And the trousers. You may remain in your underwear. There's no problem, yeah? Reluctantly and as slowly as he dared, Velvine took off his shoes, then his trousers. Leather underwear, <laughs> Reich gasped. Mein Gott, but why am I surprised? You Britishers are the hypocrites of the world. <laughs> Ach, leather. With as much dignity as he could muster, Velvine said, I am a member of the Suicide Club, and this is our standard underground. Reich laughed. <laughs> Ach, I bet Freud had a field trip with you, yeah? Velvine scowled. What now? Listen, mein Freund, Reich replied. All across the world, there's an azure blue energy called Horkon, the primordial cosmic energy. Horkon regulates the weather, for instance. It busts the clouds, yeah? But more important, inside you, inside everyone, is a hawkonastic potency, which must be released when you're with a woman. What are you talking about? Reich leaned over the table and struck him on the arm. Feel how hard that is? It's because you're a Britisher with less emotions than a stone. Oh, it's difficult to explain to you you're so armored. Armored? Yeah. It's the unreleased Horkon energy that's making external armor that in you Britishers is really, really tough. And so no Horkon energy is released through it, you see? And you're so neurotic. You're the most neurotic people in the whole world. Why do you think Freud, Young, me, and everyone else is here? We're trying to comprehend this armor you plate yourselves with. Velvine shook his head, entirely lost. Ach, I will get you a woman and we will sort this out. For why do you think I live in Soho? There's a lot of Horcone in you, Orchard Thing. We'll have to have it out. Then you'll know what love is. A woman? Here? Yeah, I know dozens, some really good ones. I put myself in my experimental Horkon box. But Velvine had heard enough. He pulled on his trousers, 
laced up his shoes and flung on his jacket. You're a Teutonic madman, he declared. There is nothing any woman could do for me to improve my lot. I should never have come here. Goodbye. He ran to the front door, but Reich tried to stop him. You don't understand. It's the huge amount of Horkon energy compressed inside you. You'll explode, orchard thing. You'll blow sky high. You are the neurotic, Felvine returned, anger making him snarl. You, sir, are the lunatic. He opened the door and leapt onto the doorstep. Ach, come back. We'll have a schnapps and chips fishes, yeah? Stopping such a prig. Prig? Me? Reich made a rude gesture with the fingers of one hand. Yeah, you, like all you dumbkopf Britishers. Run away then, see if I care. Velvine turned and fled. He'd heard quite enough. You, sir, are the mindometer, Cornucope gasped. The two together, Yegman replied. Let's walk into Egham, then up the hill to the chateau and I'll explain. He beamed a bright smile to Estatia, who, in embarrassed response, blushed and looked away. Together is how we do the things, Yagman and I, Zarina added. At once, Cornucope detected she was a foreign lady, but he could not place her accent. And you, ma'am, are from the Easterly, she replied, glancing away. Cornucope nodded. Zarina was sensitive about her upbringing, no doubt, and that explained her embarrassment. The Eggman continued. Mindometer is the description applied to those prepared to chart the uncharted depths of the human unconscious as a couple. You see, normally psychoanalysts are individual men, but there are other ways. Uh, <coughs> yes, yes, Cornucope replied, pleased that his knowledge of philosophy could come into play. And do you follow the Oedipal or the Homeric interpretation of dream states? Uh, well, neither exactly, Yegman replied, flashing Cornucope a glance. We follow our own path. Already they walked the road leading to Englefield Green Hill, and the talk turned to the weather, the locale, and to King Victorian, who, as Yegman pointed out, lived just a few miles away in Windsor Castle. He's in residence right now with Queen Alberta. Indeed, Cornucope replied. I met the king only a few months ago at his anti-smoking ball, if I recall correctly, where we discussed the consistency of tar in the lungs. And you? Yegman seemed irritated. I, I've never met the king, but I hope to. With that, the conversation died. They began climbing the hill to the chateau, whereupon Zarina walked beside Cornucope, allowing Yegman and Eustacia to converse a few yards behind. Do you know this area? Zarina asked. He nodded. I played gumball with Hoagie and Spiffer down the Ascot Way, he replied. We both rode, so Ascot was a must. Do you ride? Oh yes, I am the riding of the horses. You are a man of mystery, however, you must tell me all of your life. 
There is little enough to tell, Cornucope replied, disconcerted at her forward nature. Went to school in Ascot, read philosophy and atheist studies at Fitzwilliam in Cambridge, then gallivanted off to Hindu, then came back and joined the Suicide Club. The Suicide Club? It is dangerous? Only if you succeed, ma'am. Zarina tittered, a hand in front of her mouth. But you are atheist, you are saying. I also am atheist. With me, it is the believing of the suffering that is the issue. Cornucope nodded and smiled. Despite her variable grasp of English, she was a charming woman with a dazzling smile. He said, You have been to the chateau before? No. It is a place of unknown to me. Ten minutes later, they halted outside the imposing wrought-iron gates of one of the most extraordinary buildings Cornucope had ever seen. Made of orange and pink stone, with white and grey buttresses and fortifications and a hundred diamond-paned sash windows. It was vast, a hundred yards wide, six stories high, set in what were obviously extensive gardens. He read the brass plaque at the gates. Egham Mental Institute for the Dangerously Mental, number one. No admittance, except with a note. From his secret dossier, he took the note signed by Lord Blandhubble, showing it to Yegman and Zarina with a smile. Don't worry, he explained. Everything has been arranged for us. Number two chateau is just down the road at Virginia Water. Excellency, Zarina said. Excellent, Yegman corrected. Beside the gate sat a tethered telegraphical sitacidae the tail feather of which, there was only one, it was in poor condition. Cornucope put in his ear. Hello, he said, speaking into the device. The chateau's operator spoke. Hello, sir. Cornucope Weatherby on government business, he replied. Be good enough to send a man out to let us in. Yes, sir. Five minutes later, an old man with a large black dog approached. You, Weatherby? he asked. Mr. Weatherby, to you, Cornucope replied. Here are our papers. The old man coughed, put on a pair of spectacles, then read, mumbling the words as he did. All right, all right, he said. Suppose you better come in. He took a key and unlocked the gate, pulling them aside a yard. Squeeze through, he said. Hurry up, haven't got all evening. The old man directed them to a tunnel leading to the front quadrangle. Viennese will see you in there, he said. Good night to you, sirs, and to you, madamses. Viennese Harmonia awaited them in the front quadrangle. He was a small, bird-like gentleman with a shock of grey hair, bright blue eyes twinkling behind horn-rimmed spectacles and a white coat. He laughed as they approached and wrung his hands together. At last, the mindometer and the prediction. Marvellous. Cornuco made all the introductions and said, Eustacia and I are to be present at all meetings between the mindometer and Hornelius Struckit. If Struckit does indeed know the source of the hairy plague, I must know as soon as possible. Quite, 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 quite. No, no difficulty there, I think. Follow me. We shall take 
supper first, however. The supper hall was long, low-ceilinged, and in part below ground level, so that, looking through the windows at the top of the hall, Cornucope saw boots and hems of skirts with a hint of green grass. The food was excellent. Roast ptarmigan, brazzled turkey, wattles, and side dishes of green spook and spinach. Dessert was mashed peach and spritzer. Uh, you have no difficulty in acquiring food, Cornucope asked Viennese. We understood that you were besieged by starving tribes. Oh, we are, Viennese replied. The chateau is guarded by dogs, walled and gated, yes, far too dangerous to go out at night. But here, we're an institution. The government is keen to support its institutions. Cornucope nodded. The point was germane. He said, you must get regular deliveries by aerial snood, piloted by the Biggin Hill Aerodromia Patrol. Decent fellows, indeed. After supper, Viennese led them to the upper floor of the chateau, where lay a number of cells, fronted by locked iron grills. Sad, bedraggled characters lay inside, mostly women, Cornucope noticed. Hysterical, he had little doubt. But at the end was a large cell in which sat a young man, spare of frame, mousy-haired, wearing ragged clothes and shoes with holes in it. This is Hornelius Struckit, Viennese announced. He unlocked the grills and then opened it so they could enter. At once, Yegman and Zarina walked in, so Cornucope followed, then Estatia and Viennese. Yegman and Zarina were keen. They took chairs and sat in front of Hornelius. But Hornelius appeared frightened. Viennese looked on, writing with a piece of charcoal on a paper pad. You are Hornelius Thrucket? said Yegman. Yes, I am, came the reply. Cornucope noticed that the man's accent was the same as Zarina's. He frowned, glanced at Estatia, then shrugged. And you know the source of London's hairy plague? Yes, I do. Yegman glanced over his shoulder at Viennese. Carry on, Viennese insisted. Then tell me, Yegman said with a shrug. It is the king himself. King Victorian? Surely not. How so? Hornelius continued. I was a footman working in Windsor Castle until the events that had been thrown out, then brought here. But I'm innocent. I saw the king himself create the hairy plague with ringlets from Germany. It is all a plot. The Kaiser means to invade, to have this country, which they consider their right, through Queen Alberta, you understand. I understand, Yegman said. He used the thaumaturgical liturgies of the Lutheran Protestants to make a fabulous goatee, which he then propelled into an ever-expanding mane. That mane now covers London. The reason it is so luxuriant here is because Windsor is so near. It is the truth, I tell you. I'm sure it is, Yegman replied, placing his hand on Hornelius's arm to calm the man. And you're certain you saw King Victorian do this? I was promoted from footman to valet. The king valued me. 
Then I told somebody what I had seen, and I was expelled. They said I was mad, but I'm not mad. It is the truth. You have to believe me. Yegman stood up, turned to Viennese, and said, I've heard enough. You're not going to analyze him? Cornucope asked. Not yet. The gist of the story will suffice for now. They departed the cell, descending ivory-covered staircases to the gaming rooms of the ground floor, where Viennese gestured them to couches and chairs. When they were settled and had been served drinks, he spoke. You must remember, we're in an institution that cares for the mental. Cornucope nodded. Cornelius struck it could be suffering from delusions. Most of what he says makes sense, as I observed before, but of course we have no proof. It is proof that we need, hence my suggestion to send the mindometer. What do you think? Cornucope asked Yegman. Yegman swirled the purple brandy in his glass and then took a sip of it. I think the man's telling the truth. Want to get proof? All we have to do is to go to Windsor Castle. They'd never let us in, Cornucope said. If there is even a sniff of the government about, they will lock every gate. You know how the king loathes the prime minister, not to mention Lord Blantable. And most of the rest of the cabinet, Eustacia observed. Yegman nodded. That's true, he said, but I'm a cunning man. We can get our proof of that, I'm sure. He smiled and nodded. You leave it to me. To you, sir? Yegman made no reply. Cornucope felt uneasy. Something here did not fit. He said, I'm concerned that these German ringlets were apparently used. King Victorian can trace his family back through Hanoverian line. Queen Alberta is of Gothic origin. Are you suggesting, Yegman interrupted, that our beloved royal family is corrupt? Silence fell across the gaming room. Cornucope, surprised, stared at Yegman. Had he gone too far? He did not think so. He replied, All I'm saying is that a man, were he not blinded by circumstances, could read much into the Teutonic nature of the royal family, the designs of the Kaiser, and struck its claim as to the origin of hairy London. That, sir, is the limit of my speculation. I am a philosopher. I speculate. Yegman scowled. We must go to Windsor Castle, and soon. Cornucope got to his feet. Then that, sir, we shall do. You have been indulging in Stephen Palmer's Hairy London. Narrated by R.D. Watson. <laughs>